0: The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct.
1: Welcome into episode 13 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, I'm sitting down with the young veteran Justin Faulkner, who has been playing with the legendary Branford Marsalis Quartet for the past 12 years. If you know anything about the Branford Marsalis Quartet, the drum seat is a hot seat, uh, previously occupied by Jeff Tien Watts and then Lewis Nash. And Tony Williams has played with Branford over the years. So Justin is carrying the torch of all these modern jazz greats and beyond. Um, he's an incredibly thoughtful and deep philosophical person. So we go right into the deep end right away. And of course, we bring it back to some gear talk. If you're not familiar with Justin's work, go to JustinFaulknerMusic.com. Check out the discography. He's got Branford Marsalis Quartet. He's got Holly Cole. He's got Dave Kakoski, He's got Corey Riker. He's got Kurt Rosenwinkel New Quartet. He's got Jackie Terrison. It's pretty impressive. He's a very humble, very gracious uh, young man. And yeah, so I actually met him when he was in eighth grade, so this is the first time that we sat down to talk since then. Pretty fun, so let's check it out. Here is Justin Faulkner. Well, Justin, thank you for joining the show. Um, I wanted to first start with asking about getting back into playing live. You just did a few hits in Europe, right, with Brantford's Quartet. Yeah. How did that feel after, what, a year and a half break? It was pretty intense.
0: Because, um, I mean, like our last show was two days before lockdown. Mm -hmm. Literally, like we got back on U.S. soil from Canada, and we all, you know, we have a group text, so everybody sending each other like, "Yeah, man, that last show was great. We played in Toronto at Kerner Hall, and you know, saw a bunch of old friends, and it was just it was great." So we're texting each other, "Yeah, man, we can't wait to go to Belgium." I think that was the next thing and we were supposed to leave like maybe a week after we arrived home so we get home and it's like oh no that's canceled no actually the rest of this tour is going to be canceled oh no the year is canceled and so you know i mean we did one small thing during the pandemic um we we Some of us did the music for the the, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom film that came out on Netflix somewhere in the middle of the pandemic. So coming back after all of that inactivity, and I mean, you know, it's like the the same six cats traveling the world together for 12 years straight. Mm -hmm. So for all of us, it's like when we saw each other, it was like, wait, you exist. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, some of us saw each other, uh, you know, in between that time you know some some people you know once everybody was vaccinated like people started going to each other's homes when they were in town or whatever cuz everybody lives all over the US mm. so like that first show where was it uh oh we played in tbilisi georgia that was like a surreal moment you know and the night before we saw antonio sanchez's band play so you know we got to hang with them have dinner cuz we you know none of us had seen each other so yeah yeah man it was it was kind of crazy like i you know for me to hit a drum and people reacting like that it was like foreign thing right (laughs) you know so but uh yeah people people have been digging you know the the perspective that the band is coming from you know they've been digging how you know we interpret the songs and You know i think branford has a really cool way of meeting the audience halfway Hmm. you know so um you know we play a bunch of really wild stuff but then on the flip side we play you know like 30s tunes as well so the the audience really received as well and you know there was a point where branford said hello everybody to the audience and they just clapped for like you know, five minutes <laughs> just straight because everybody was so like, I mean, I don't think they believed that they were sitting in an audience watching a concert. So mm. it was a uh, it was pretty
1: fantastic. man. Now I know that, that was it, a really long way to answer that. Sorry. I mean, did it feel like you guys just picked up where you left off If like a new band? Like, how did it feel?
0: So, OK, so, you know, our band is a band of I wouldn't say perfectionists. I would say they're very high achievers you know like there's a standard of playing that all of them believe in and you know over time they've instilled that in me because I met them when I was 17 so you know there's a standard that we all understand that we're trying to get to you know like Dizzy Gillespie told um, I think it was maybe either Terrence Blanchard or yeah I think it was Terrence Blanchard he told him after like, you know, they did like this. Uh, it was him, Woody Shaw, Freddie Hubbard and Terrence and Dizzy Blade. And So and Terrence looks at him. He's like, man, Diz, how did you get to that? And he was like, man, look, dude, there's another level that I'm trying to get to in general. And with Branford and the guys, that's how we think, you know, it's like we, even though we played some of the same songs every night, you know, we we're trying to get into what we call the lost vibe, which is truly trying to get lost. Because, you know, Ornette Coleman said that he believes that, you know, a lost musician or really, like, there's a level of innocence of of behind not knowing what you're doing or being lost. And for them, for years, they used to try to, like, force themselves to get lost so that they can find, like, how to get back to the thing. That doesn't work in all music, of course, because you'll get fired if you miss the click on certain mm-hmm. gigs. But for us, you know, it's... a large part of it is like open interpretation improvised music Mm -hmm. so um truth be told man we how can I put it like we didn't it didn't feel like a new band because we all know each other really well Mm -hmm. like really well to the point where you know Eric Rivas our bass player you know like I'm an extra limb on his body like I know when and where how, why and then when he comes through with some new stuff I'm like oh okay cool we'll add that to the dictionary Mm -hmm. like it's (laughs) the you know so uh, but I mean I think I think we all understood that there was a there was a new calling like there was a new um, season of what we do and it was, and, it, and that it's important for us to really double down on the beliefs, convictions, and truths of the music that we all share. You know, because as we see more of our older musicians are unfortunately leaving us or retiring from playing and such, you know, I don't think anyone needs to be a caricature, but I do believe we need to, um, I do believe that we need to uphold a certain standard and also be able to play the truth of what the music was so that we can truly so that we can truly educate our young our young musicians and also the audience as to what this music is today
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know so
1: man we're going to dive deep here so okay. <laughs> the paradox losing yourself but you have to prepare, prepare at such a high level, as far as knowing the music, knowing your mm. instrument, knowing mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. What is the What is the practice process for you, as the drummer, to get to the point where you can let yourself get lost? Yeah. Uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. That's a That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> All right.
0: So uh, since we're diving deep, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the plunge. So. Go for it. <laughs> one of the things about my core belief behind playing music is that I as a drummer have to decrease myself as a, as, a, as a musician has to increase and the song reigns supreme over all of that so there comes a point where like I don't believe I can play songs that I haven't internalized so even if I'm sight reading, I mean I don't want to say it like this, but I guess I it's the only way. I've kind of developed an ability to understand the concept of a song pretty quickly, because I've been placed in a lot of subbing situations where you know I'm, you know I'm subbing for some of the baddest people on the in, uh, on on the on on the scene. You know, it's like especially at a younger age, so. You know, I remember I used to play with the Charles Mangus Big Band for like four or five years, but I was 15, 16 years old. Mm. So I get called for this gig and, you know, I have Boris Kozlov. I have Sean Jones, Lou Soloff, Ryan Kaiser, like all of these cats around me. And I'm like, oh God, I'm in way over <laughs> my head. You know, Orrin Evans and Dave Kikowski playing piano. It's like It's nuts, right? So through that process... It's really like a repetition thing, you know, like I would have to figure out how to make music out of these songs on the spot. So like that meant looking through a chart and seeing, okay, where's where is the rise? Where is like what is the arc of this song? And, you know, sometimes we'd have like four or five pagers. So I'm like, oh, God, okay, cool. Yeah, we're gonna play Children's Hour of Dream. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So then I take out this, you know, these these twelve sheets, and I'm like, oh, okay, oh, oh, oh. Climax here, boom. And then even, you know, I'll turn around and I'll ask cats about it, like, hey, yo, so since we didn't rehearse, like, where where is like the pinnacle of the tune? And they're like, yeah, man, it's like bar seventy nine. Cool, great, no problem. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, let me create levels so that when we get to this. To the apex of the song, we've developed something from the beginning till now, Mm -hmm. you know, or or from the beginning till then. So it's like you know, I may, let's say, I'm playing a snare drum roll on this particular piece of music. I'll play this, you know, this closed roll, or maybe it's an open roll, maybe it's like a hybrid of some sort, and certain areas I may open the roll up a little bit more to give contrast, to give color contrast, to give. Um, Distinction of us playing in a new section Like I'll figure out things that I can do To help develop the song along So with Branford's band It's interesting because Everybody thinks that way Everybody Mm -hmm. I mean it's like I mean Eric Rivas For years Was like you know my Musical architectural guru Like he he would say hey 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 what do we need to do to get here on this song? So knowing the song so well, it's like, okay, well, we understand what the structure is and we understand what the goal is here. Mm-hmm. Everything else is open season, you know, you do as you wish and hope for the best in a lot of cases, like, you know, as long as you don't sacrifice what the song needs, because we don't, like, I think a lot of a lot of musicians that I've encountered are like, oh man, if you play jazz, Man, it's just like, you know, it's open. And I'm like, ah, well, yeah, but no. Because mm-hmm. like, there are some bands who write songs, like le- legitimate like, songs. There are sections and there is a point to the tune. Some people's music is designed for you to, you know, go wherever it goes and that's all right with the band leader. But with Branford and a lot of the guys, they they write what I consider complete thoughts. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to be honest with you, man, the only way to practice for that is to just do it with people who do it well, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I tell a lot of my musician friends that are younger than me, and I'm like, look, find the best musicians in the city, and if they have a jam session, please go play, and you will suck at it for a while, Mm -hmm. and you will thank me later. Because (laughs) it's like, you have to get in over your head so that you can understand where the level is, And then when you go and play with other people, you are developing them as well. It's kind of like getting a video game and starting on hard Mm -hmm. or legendary if you were a Halo player at any point. It's like starting there, if you play multiplayer with anybody after that... I mean, you're you're a genius. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you know, like you're you're like a you're one of the best players they've ever encountered because you are playing where like you know glitches happen in the game, and you may lose. Like, um, uh, um, you you may um, you know you you may end up like losing a weapon or something because the map gets messed up. But like, who, who knows? But The reality is this you've prepared for all of the possible things that can happen and if not even you getting surprised you're you're somewhat you're somewhat prepared for that you know what i mean and so within the band it's like when we're we're playing all kinds of stuff happens you know like i'll look at i'll look at our pianist joey and it's like he's playing a fifth chorus i'm like oh god i don't have steam for this or Mm. better yet i thought we've built it to a place where like the send-off is now ready when in fact he's like no there's more and i'm like okay so cool so what can i do to set up this next section since we have this unplanned chorus happening Mm -hmm. or since we've since i thought i did everything i could to get us to that next section You know, so it's, I mean, it's a different thing every night, and I'm always wondering, you know, behind, like, the lost vibe, behind, you know, trying to develop levels to the songs. My thing is always, what does this song need from me right now? Mm -hmm. And how can I get out of the way of the song so that music can happen? Because if I don't, then, well, you know,
1: I'll make it about me, and it'll be a drum solo all night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) <laughs> How much of this is verbal versus nonverbal? Like, do you ever talk about it or is it just experiential? Um, In the beginning, we, we talked about it a
0: lot because I, growing up playing gospel music, growing up playing R&B, like I understood the concept of, you know, like creating levels, you know, especially like in, in pop music, because the stuff that we hear on the radio, especially like within the pop rock category, like from back in like, you know, 90s, Two thousand stuff, even now of course country music as well and some Americana folk stuff drummers would just slightly change the hi-hat pattern and it would elevate the entire second verse, right? So they always used to talk to me about this and then when they first had this conversation with me, they all gave me like maybe eh, like a hundred gigabytes of music collectively when I first joined (laughs) <laughs> and they were like, so here is your library to figure life out. I'm like, <laughs> cool. Um, what was yeah, in that? What were the hotspots? Man, Albert Eiler, Spiritual Unity, uh, Keith Jarrett, uh, European Quartet, the album Belonging, um, let's see, Amaja Trio, which actually changed my life because I, I wasn't super familiar with Vernell Fonnier being like besides Pontyanna cuz mm-hmm. you know everybody knows that but Vernella actually became like a huge inspiration for a large portion of of how I felt the beat um and then they would pinpoint specific drummers like Paul Motion for example I mean his understanding of development and also his understanding of of his role in every band that I've ever heard him play in—it's kind of remarkable, especially on that. Um, there's the, the record I have. A room above her with um, Joe Lovano and Bill Frisell. Mm-hmm. Man, he's there's this one tune called Osmosis Three. Literally, he just plays like this open, broken ride cymbal pattern and like slight comping on the snare drum. And he and Bill and Joe Lovano are. Building around this, but he values his part in his role so much that he found almost like a zen-like state playing that. And for for me, you know, that's that's the kind of understanding and spirit I want to bring to the music when you hire me, you know, or when when I'm when I'm asked to collaborate. And I think those guys exposing me to those records early on opened up that door for me to now uh be able to contribute to like our collective vernacular that we've developed over the years, you know, with them, with Tane and Lewis Nash and um uh, uh you know Tony Williams, like those are the drummers that preceded me in Branford's uh mm-hmm. situation, kind of including Winton's Quintet because that was kind of the birth of all of this. Um you know, being able to add something to that vocabulary over time. It's, it's kind of surreal in yeah, a sense. But but it's it's a continuation, you know? Like that vocabulary that they've established, it still lives within who we are as the Brantford Marcellus Quartet. You know, it's like I would be insane to not, you know, say that Jeff Tane watch was a huge inspiration in many ways, you know. Mm-hmm. So and and Tain is also I mean, one of the greats when it comes to development, you know, it's like if you listen to any of like the, the, especially the album Eternal, Mm -hmm. it's mastery, you know, it's like I tell drummers all the time, like I don't normally recommend modern drummers to listen to, but there are some of them like, you know, Tane, Blade that embody so much of the history. And because I don't like saying the past because it tends to, it tends to add to the argument of people that are saying that jazz needs to evolve and such. I mean, jazz is going to evolve with or without us. It's just Mm -hmm. the way it works, you know. But Tane and Blade and, you know, Kenny Washington and a lot of musicians that approach the drums from a foundational place of yesterday, it drastically affects the way that we hear and choose to interpret the music. And for those guys to be alive, I mean, Terry Lynn Carrington and Cindy Blackman, like, for all of those people to be alive and interpreting simultaneously while we're also figuring this stuff out, it's the bomb. Mm. It's like, you know, like, the, those people are kind of like the cheat codes in a sense. like You know, like Ralph <laughs> right. Peterson as well. So like, it's okay, cool. There's Blakey, but also, like, since you may not understand that, because that is, like, you know, like, the, the highest level start with people who have been influenced and actually spent time with these people. So, you know, mm. you go check out some Ralph Peterson stuff and it's like, oh, okay, that's an interesting way of approaching Blakey's shuffle or, you know, Blakey's ability to set up a band and basically make it seem like every song was written by him. Mm. You know, it's like, th- these people exist, so they've definitely helped in um, that process of me figuring out the vocabulary that I'm going to contribute to the band mm-hmm. for those, you know, moments of chaos or controlled chaos, if you will, and some of it is talked about. Like you know, I mean, we hang all the time. You know, when we're in airport lounges, like we'll say, "Hey, man, you know, I didn't really dig this. Let's try this," you know. But that's cool. Yeah. I'll, I mean, we're we're. we're No one in the band is really insecure. Like we're all just kind of like, yeah, that sucked. We're not doing that anymore. You know, it's just it's a very matter of fact. You know, to like listen to the message, forget the messenger, and also forget the method.
1: Like, let's make sure that these songs reign supreme. You know, is there ever a moment on stage when you catch yourself like doing a tainism or something, and you have to be like, ah, step away from that, or do you embrace it?
0: Um. I think I've gotten to a point now where my influences are blended so much because I never, I have to be honest, I don't, I've never been a fan of licks. Mm. I don't have them knowingly at least, like I don't attempt to play like any licks. Mm-hmm. like even if there's an idea that I that I someone may hear me play multiple times in different settings i mean i think we all use the word the <laughs> when we talk you know so I, I i consider what's coming out more of a vocabulary and more of a um i mean yeah i don't i don't really i don't really have those In my vocabulary, knowingly, it Mm -hmm. may come out because I'm influenced by the people, but Mm -hmm. nah, I I, if there's any time where I'm kind of like refocusing or pushing myself away from something, it's if I play something preconceived. Mm -hmm. So, meaning, like, you know, if I'm playing behind Branford or anybody in the band for that matter, if you are not 100% engaged, you've missed it there is no autopilot because they will always zig when you should have zagged, you know, like that's just, that's the way that band works because all of them are incredible in the moment improvisers. Like there is nothing that we did last night. That's going to come out unless we quoted a song and we thought it was cool. Mm. Like, you know, like, like we were, we, um, we quote uh, a machine gun, on one of eric's songs and so i happen to just like the the drum groove bang 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 i mean it's it's pretty fantastic right <laughs> so the whole band knows it so somehow some way like i'll displace it and put it somewhere and then they'll requote like you know the bass line or the guitar line you know 10 measures later in a place mm-hmm. where they actually hear it In the moment, rather than trying to chase me with what I've just played. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes we meet each other in that same place, right? So, yeah, I don't, I, I just try to stay away from developing a lick. I would much rather embody the sound of a person and allow that to kind of guide me on my way, the same way that great philosophers have given us, you know, ways to compute thought and compute emotions and, you know, navigate aspects of our lives. Like, I like to look at albums as that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the, the the John Coltrane Quartet Live at the Vanguard, you know, it it has given me an understanding of how to approach playing at a high intensity the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, Art Blakey's uh, Buhana's Delight, the song Contemplation, has taught me how to have intensity in a ballad without playing loud or being Demonstrative, like, you know, I that was the first time I had ever heard a drummer feather um, four on the floor in a ballad while everybody else was playing too. Mm -hmm. It was deep because it was like, oh snap! This gives this a forward motion that's really different than what I've ever heard. So, yeah, they're they're like books to me rather than, you know, like I quote books every now and then, but. Yeah, I don't make them, like, cliche things. Mm-hmm. You know right, what I mean? Because right. people know when it's genuine and when you're just trying to
1: prove something, you know? Yeah. Do you have, like, a daily or a pre-show kind of routine to get yourself focused for this? This high-demand mental intensity performing? Yeah, I do now. Uh, before, it was just
0: to hang with the with the band. Like, I mean, it, it's it's really funny, man. Like, I wish that, like... Like, cause I remember growing up reading Modern Drummer, and like, you know, you'd 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 like see Weckl's routine, or like you'd see, you know, Vinny Kaliuta's routine, or I actually saw Vinny Kaliuta's routine once, and it was pretty. It was it was just wild that I was watching Vinny do anything at that point, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so. I n- now I have a trainer that that is um, guiding me on my fitness and health journey. Mm. So, he's kind of designed some basic things for me. You know, like I have a protein shake that I take every day that has the right herbs, and you know, it gives me all of the um, the, the amount of green leafy vegetables that I need in my diet and. I think that helps to kind of jumpstart my day, Mm -hmm. in general. Um, I'm a huge fan of Ginkgo Biloba, like I I take Ginkgo every other day. Um, uh, I also, like while I'm on the road, I do a mini workout in the room before the show, before I get dressed, Um, and that's really with just a, a resistance band and a PVC pipe. You know, it's just, like, doing some pulls, just getting getting the muscles engaged so that, like, in the words of my trainer, I'm able to explode when I walk on the stage. He's a very animated person, so he's like, man, you know, I just, I, I need the guns and the, and the and the." I'm like, cool, bruh, thank you, I appreciate <laughs> it, you know? <laughs> but um, when we're backstage, I started bringing bring my pad. Mm-hmm. I didn't in the past. Well, I did, I did it on and off for a long time, but... There's something kind of zen about going through, like the the list of the PAS forty mm-hmm. rudiments. Like I don't know what it is, but it's a form of meditation for me. You know, especially um, when you get to like the the diddle rudiments and and the uh, and the and the like like the drag rudiments like towards the end. Like some there's something really interesting about sitting there and just ripping out triple Ryder cues before Mm -hmm. the show like I know that my hands are going to work because first of all that's not an easy rudiment to play clean you know and then also too like there's some Buddy Rich snare drum or Buddy Rich-esque solos that I've always loved playing Mm because I mean I've I've been studying Buddy Rich as like a hobby since I was 10 like I'm one of the biggest Buddy Rich fans ever Mm -hmm. also Rufus Speedy Jones and so you know when i'm sitting there i just get my hands warmed up uh we'll probably snack on something you know um i also depending on when i've taken my protein shake if i've taken my protein shake in the morning i'll actually eat two bananas right before the show okay just to make sure that no cramping happens because you know like there are some times when i try to do death defying tricks also known as like you know Playing more notes on the bass drum than one probably should with the calf muscles that I have, but you know, if, if that's what I hear, that's what I'm gonna play. So, um, yeah, man, and then also too, I will, um, yeah, I'll have the two bananas. I'll sometimes also take some um, potassium tablets as well, because the the worst thing in the world is like you know you, you've played the whole show well. You know, you you get to the last tune, and oftentimes the last tune is where there's a drum solo. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I try to go for something, it's like, okay, I might have to stand up and play because I'm in pain. Mm. So you know, I'm making sure that I constantly drink a ton of water because you know it helps. Um, And sometimes we'll just be listening in the back to tunes. You know, like we'll like we were on a for years. We were we were on this uh, spinners kick. So we'd listen to Could It Be I'm Falling in Love every day before the show. Or, you know, there was a there's a rapper named Smino who we were all checking out at the time. So like Eric Reeves would, would play Smino or, you know, whatever tunes we're checking out. Sometimes it's like some old stuff. Bradford is hipping us to like some history that he may have just found out, you know, like train playing in, uh, in, in in some of those R&B dance bands and mm-hmm. you know bird playing in some of the dance bands like you know Branford finds the recordings and he's like yo check this out or you know a drummer that most people believe is like a modern drummer from like you know 60s 70s them playing with like you know a jug band in New Orleans it's just stuff like that, <laughs> that you know he, he finds or that any of us find um You know, sometimes we're having political conversations. Sometimes we're talking about clothes or, you know, it all depends. But basically, it's... There's no real, like, pre-show thing besides warming up and hydrating and making sure the body is in the best shape possible. What gear do you travel with? So, uh, I now travel with my cymbals and sometimes the snare drum depends on depends on what's happening um i just got this new um craviato reserve bird's eye maple snare drum and it's it's insanity i mean i've yeah like it everything that i want Mm. is in that drum and i was talking to dave victor about it because i'm like you know man i have a lot of great stuff from y'all but I don't have just a simple five and a half by fourteen maple snare drum. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and it's kind of sacrilegious. This <laughs> is mm-hmm. like, I I think I need to add that to the to the lexicon. And so they made that for me. Um, I received that around Christmas time, actually. So that comes with me from time to time. Uh, you know, I always have a a, a pair of Hardimans with me just because it's a, it's a nice stick and also I have the uh the, the Ted A cats um Persimmon classical sticks that Vic Firth mm-hmm. makes. I always have those because you know, I play etudes every day in my practice re- regimen and I like using those more so than the Hardmans for that. Mm. Um let me see what else do I bring. Um I'm I'm a clothes horse so I bring a lot of stuff <laughs> it's like, you know I mean? It, like, it, and, and it's all in like neutral colors just because packing for the road for me, like, you know, we wear suits every night. So, yeah. and basically I wear a suit every day. It's like uh, some variation of it. Like, you know, it may be more casual. It may be like, you know, I have suits that are made out of sweatpant material. Like, you mm. know, I, that's my thing. So, you know, the, uh, I, that does go under gear because yeah without my armor if you would uh, yeah 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 i don't i don't know it wouldn't i mean and, you know I, I still rock t-shirts and jeans and stuff but i probably have on a blazer <laughs> you know it's just my thing so um you know I, I also for years man i traveled with moon gels i just you know now man i'm i'm trying to do my best to tune the drums well and not need those. But on certain stages, especially when the stage is more live than the than the house is, mm-hmm. I mean, I will tape my drums up almost completely so that the guys on stage can feel what I'm playing and so that the sound doesn't swim on stage. Mm-hmm. And our sound engineer Robbie Hunter, he's a beast. Like he one, he was also he's also a drummer. He used to play in the rock band Raven. Okay. And um you know, he and I, we sit down and, like, the first thing we do when I walk in, because we don't sound check. So, like, I walk in and he's tuning the drums and getting the the rest of the stuff set up. I'm like, so, Robbie, what do we need on the on the drums tonight? And I and I hit it. And he's like, yeah, let's tune in mid so I can add this and this. I'm like, cool, great. And so we have this thing that we call Towley. I know. It's a South Park <laughs> reference. but uh, <laughs> So... Basically, it's a it's a big bath towel that we roll and tape in three places, and then I tape it on the side of the bass drum rim, so okay. like like right up right above the my beater. So I'll either do it above or to the side, and that's what I use to muffle. Um, and we have like four of those because sometimes you know, depending on the space, I may need to muffle it a little bit more or a little bit less. We have multiple sizes. And it's just something that he kind of developed over over time for me. Because, you know, I tried using felt strips and all this other stuff. I just, man, I want the least amount of moving parts possible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we, we already have roughly 16 bags between the six of us when we're traveling. I don't think I need to bring, like, another gear bag with, like, all of my paraphernalia just so that I can try stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I sometimes I travel with a big fat snare drum head just because um, especially when we were doing like the Kurt Elling Branford stuff you know, detuning my snare drum w- with no time was a lot mm. and we had more stuff to set up some of the travel was really crazy so I'm like, you know something yep Go. great, <laughs> wonderful, life is good you know, and also it's consistent enough too so like um, on a lot of in a lot of the other bands that I play in, I'll bring it just to, you know, give me options. Yeah. Because a lot of times I'm, I mean, even with Branford's band, I'm searching, but my kid is already big enough with Branford's band. You know, I'm using like one, like a main snare, a secondary snare, one rack, two floors, about four or five cymbals, and mm. cowbell, a block. And a splash as well, because we play trad stuff. It's like, I got enough gear, you know, mm-hmm. let's just deal with the parameters that we have here. But with other people, you know, like when I was playing, with, when I played with Dafa Yusuf, I have three snare drums because a lot of the tunes have like similar tempos. So to give color changes and differentiate between certain aspects of the songs, you know, I have like a really you know, high pitched popcorn ish snare, like a 13 or even sometimes a 12, then, you know, 14 by five and a half, then like a 14 by like seven or eight, Mm -hmm. you know? So it, yeah, it, it all depends
1: on who I'm playing with and what I need. Forks drum closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of music city. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee or call 615-383-8343 or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. How do you tune that Craviato snare? I find that that high but dense, for lack of a better term, jazz snare drum sound hard to achieve, like a choke um, out. I'm going to be honest, man. I
0: basically start all of my snare drums at A above, wait, no, A, like A right under middle C. Okay. 440. Like I, that's a starting point, and I'm. It's funny. I spent. Let's see. I spent a year and a half touring. Uh, we did a we did a double bill tour with Terrence Blanchett's band, and um, it was it was really cool. Me and Kendrick Scott became really close as a result of that. He was playing drums with Terrence at the time, and that was like his starting point for all of his snare drums. It was like, hey, you know, yeah, I start this at A and I see where it takes me. And he used to, you know, carry like a pitch pipe. He was like very meticulous. Mm-hmm. And his drums always sound great. So I started saying, OK, well, maybe A works, you know, and I'll start there. I'll see with my drum specifically. When I first got it, I mean, I still have like the factory carviato Remo head that they use. And it's great. I started at A and then... I'll just see how the room sounds more than anything, mm. you know, because A tends to work in most rooms for me. But, you know, depends on who I'm playing with. Like, sometimes, like like a couple nights ago, I played with this vocalist, and the bass player's tone was punchy, but also like not massive. So therefore like there I don't know why but I'm able to hear like okay these are the frequencies in the spectrum of sound on stage. Mm-hmm. These are the frequencies that we need to address. And or fill so that it sounds like a full band. So for me, you know, I tuned my snare a little bit higher that that evening and my snare and my bass drum was a little bit little bit higher as well and it worked you know it's it's an experiment for me oftentimes but i don't really do anything special to the drum you know Mm -hmm. it it if the drum is great and specifically with you know the solid shell drums that Craviato has and the smaller or 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 more shallow dimensions of the snare drum those tend to crank really well and pretty easily for me Mm -hmm. um with my deeper drums I try not to go that high, especially the ones that I have um, wood hoops on, because mm. I just, for me, it just doesn't it doesn't have the same effect. So mm. I'll I'll start with A, and that's probably the highest I'll go, with like you know my 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 fourteen by seven or my um
1: or my fifteen by twelve, which I which I have as well. So, <laughs> what about the toms and bass drum? Is there a starting point? uh so i used to tune to the to the notes
0: of the bass mm. so um yeah it would be like what is that e d no oh, wait is that e d a g yeah E-G-A-D, yeah e wait well, yeah, e d a g yeah so like i would tune that was when i was using a bunch of toms now i'm gonna be completely honest with you man like i don't really have a methodology behind it you know i know people that tune in fourths and fifths and it's great and sometimes that happens but really i tune based on the room because me and the sound engineer especially with Branford, our goal is to have the best drum sound for that room because i mean you know at one point i had the opportunity to travel with my with my own personal kit cuz Taine did for years and Branford was like yeah man you know get your kit together and you know we'll we'll get it and we'll ship it to new york and will you have it get get the company that you're with to ship one kit to new york and you know you'll have your stuff at the crib or whatever and for me i was kind of like oh okay great i can't wait this is wonderful i get to play my drums every night and then our bassist eric Reeves is like no you don't I'm like, wait, wait, what? I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, in in my mind, then I'm like, man, I'm an adult. Like, you can't talk to me. I was a smooth 17 still in high school. So he's like, no, you have to learn to play any drum that comes your way. He was Mm -hmm. like, you have to learn to make music and, like, make music well on, you know, on trash can tops if need be. And I'm at a point now where it's just like, yeah, I can. You know, it's like, I'm not ever intimidated by a kit, you know. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, I see what we have. Great, let's make the best of this, you know. So that means either changing heads or taping or whatever. So with my Toms, it depends on what company of drums I'm using that day because, you know, unfortunately, Craviato isn't widely available across the world. You'd be surprised where it is available, though, because, I mean, I played in the Czech Republic and, and... um and a uh, bruno and uh another city i forget and both of those cities had cats craviato kits i was dumbfounded you know <laughs> and it was just like but i had like i you know but a major u.s city it was it was interesting i think that will change now with the new diamond kit though but mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me so yeah man it depends on the kit like with yamaha toms like i tune a certain way with with cannabis, Drums that tune a certain way, with you know any of the backline stuff that we get, because some cities don't even. I mean, you'd be surprised how many cities don't have Maple Custom Absolutes anymore. You know, so mm-hmm. um you know, with with the craviatos, I tend to, I tend to look for what is the best note I can get out of each drum. You know, it's like if this drum sounds great. Slightly above the A that I'm tuning my snare drum. Mm. So be it. I would much rather like the purity of the drum, especially since that level of craftsmanship is going into making that solid shell, you know, work of art in many ways. It's like, yeah, let's just honor what it does rather than trying to force it into my box, which is, you know, this big in comparison to the tuning range of the drum, which may be, you know, incredibly wide or very specific
1: Mm.
0: you know i'm i'm about getting the job done in the most efficient way possible while honoring the integrity of what's
1: around me Mm. and my surroundings you know what is this is probably a hard question to answer what is your all-time favorite recorded drum sound (whistles) or i'll give you three or four (laughs) okay uh
0: let's see tony's drums on four and more Mm. Uh, jazz or in general? Start there and then go take it. Okay. Take it elsewhere. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so Tony's drums on four and more. Uh, Vernel Fournier's drums on live at the Spotlight. Um, let me see. Roy Haynes' bass drum actually on live at St. Nick's pub. I think that was like one of the first or no not St. Nick's pub but St. Nick's. I think that was like one of the first uh records he did with Charlie Parker. Wow, um, I don't know that one. It's it's nasty. And cuz I mean the snare drum sounds incredible too. The kit sounds fine, but some of it is slightly inaudible. Mm. But the bass drum it was a beast. Um Sonny Payne's drums on Wives and Lovers with Frank Sinatra and the Basie Band. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Motion's drums on the first Keith Jarrett record. First Keith Jarrett Trio record. What is it? Like Like Life Between the Signs, I think it's or Between the Exit Signs, I think it's called. Something like that. His drums sound incredible. Like, it's just... The Toms are pure... You know, cymbals sound great. The snare drum is just... I mean, it's like the sweet spot mm-hmm. of of tuning for me. Um, Elvin's drums on everything. Uh, um, uh, Baby Dodd's drums on talking and drum solos. Um, for that to be recorded from so long ago, the tom sounds were so clear and mm-hmm. so pure. Uh the snare drum sound was I mean it was honest. You know, you could hear the guts on, on the bottom of the snare, but it sounded like a you know, old school militaristic snare drum and it, it was it was beautiful. Um otherwise uh, in other situations, Pacarl's drums on uh uh on Gaucho, mm-hmm. Bernard Purdy's drums on, on, on um Babylon's sister Gads' drums on Asia. Um I forget who played drums on on uh, Love and Happiness with, Jan- with with um Al Green. Mm. Uh The drum sound on Footsteps in the Dark with the Isley Brothers. Um uh Thomas Hake's drums on everything. Like on all of them sugar stuff, I'm mm. I'm the fan. I, it's it's really just It's really smart and really well done. Um, You're all over the place. Oh, dude, I'm... I'm, Yeah, I'm just... (laughs) It's everywhere. Like, you know, Brian Blade's drums with Trixie Whitley and Daniel Lenoir. Yeah. That stuff. Um, The Black Dub stuff. Um, Dang it, what is the gentleman's name? Oh, man, it's... He's gonna... He's not gonna be happy with me. Uh, He's (laughs) he's his drummer... Really great, like studio legendary cat. And I just found out, like, who he was. I've been hearing him for years, but there's a great singer songwriter that I've that's you know, like a sister to me named Kate Shutt. And um, this drummer, he just played his face off on the album every single thing that could possibly be done, and then everything that none of us would ever think to play, he did it. And you could just tell that he is a seasoned veteran in the studio. Like he cared so much about the tunes. I mean, he would—he used symbols that I would have never considered, but now I can't play the songs without them. Interesting. You know, like that's—that's that's the. Yeah, wow! I can't believe I can't remember his name. What's the, the record moment, called? But, uh, uh, Bright Nowhere. By what's the and artist again? Kate Shut uh I'll, I can send you the spelling and such as well yep. but I mean yeah it's it's an incredible record um let me see man uh you know I love the way Carlos Vega's drums sound you know on some of that Dave Grooves and stuff mm-hmm. um Harvey Mason's drums on the album Heartfelt his snare drum sound is impeccable mm-hmm. um Omar Hakim woo sweet jesus yeah Omar Hakim on What's the name of that record? Uh, it's a Weather Report record with him and Victor Bailey. The song Plaza Real is on it. Okay. <laughs> Drum sounds for days. You know, just like like high pitched eight inch toms, but like with enough reverb on it. I mean, it's just it's hooked up. Um, Bootsy Collins drums on stretching out uh, because he plays drums on the and drums and bass on the record. Mm. His drums on Flashlight, he's playing drums on that, too, with George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic. I do not know that um, Bootsie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man. So, I mean, I I I'd spent I'd a lot of time with Boots. well, not a lot, but a, a nice amount of time with Bootsy talking to him, and we did his last record, too. So, it's like, he, you know, I asked him, I was like, yeah, man, so I heard you play drums. He's like, yeah, man, you know. And I mean he's he's so modest and humble, it's insane, like I'm like, man, do you know that you may be the funkiest person to ever live? Yeah, right, and you're just <laughs> like so kind and gentle and humble like it's it's incredible, so yeah, um, booty's drum sound is just functional, like you know he chooses to do what he does, and it's like, oh, yeah, this song needs this, like his song's stretching out. Was actually based on Fela Kuti's stuff. Like he was mm. hanging out in, in Nigeria apparently, and he heard Tony Allen playing some stuff, and he was in he was hanging out in the, in a nightclub with the band, and he was like, "Oh, yeah, I, <laughs> I I need this," and he said that the record is actually based on what he could remember mm, from wow. from being there, you know, and so. Yeah, man, like, I mean, like, drum sounds for me, I would much rather have, like, an embodiment of a million of them and, like, truly have them a part of me. Like, you know, Calvin Rogers drums on anything that he plays because he's very specific about, you know, tom tuning, snare drum tuning, Um, you know, Marvin McQuitty as well on on specifically this Moret Brown Clark album album. I think it's called One God Live. I believe I could be wrong. But, I mean, he was using the the K-Session Series cymbals. You know, that 21-inch ride with the massive bell. Like, you know, that's an iconic gospel ride cymbal sound. And the gospel live records that I've played on, I used it. Like, Mm. I was like, okay, I can't do this without this. You know, and... (laughs) And and that 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 exists for me in a lot of ways. Like, you know, I did this album with Kurt Rosenwinkel in 2012. There was a song that was like Asia-ish, but also like gaucho-ish and whatnot. Man, Dead and Toms was a no-brainer. Like, this song wouldn't be the song without Deep Dead snare drum. I had like a 26 inch bass drum with a fiber skin head on it, and like, <laughs> you know, like like I had an 18 inch GMS floor tom, like it because it was necessary, you know. And the thing about it is like once you embody these drum sounds in these records, you can't unhear that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So like if I'm placed in those situations, I'm like, <sighs> Doctor Gad, I'm sorry, I have to do this, like it's. <laughs> You will understand when you hear it, and I think that you know there will be like a moment of 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 symmetry where we'll both look at each other and say, "Yeah, it had to happen." It yeah, <laughs> it had to happen. Just what it is, you know. So, what was your first snare drum? Uh, my oh well, okay. So I had three that would be considered firsts. Okay. One of them was like this kid who was like rock the world you know drum and it was just like a kid snare drum that was connected to the bass drum mm-hmm. Four actually i had a fisher price like drum that was considered to, to be like an old school field drum
1: okay but, i think i had that too
0: <laughs> yeah like like the like the blue and the blue drum with like the yellow rim and the red sticks connected yeah, to yep. it. Plastic yeah, that. Head. so exactly <laughs> okay. yep so that was like number one right then um I got a uh, it was like a chrome um, actually pretty big like a chrome 14 by 6 because I still have it like chrome 14 by 6 that was a CP percussion Mm -hmm. or CP drums like cosmic percussion Um, and that actually still sounds pretty fantastic like I I just put some you know like I put a, a Emperor X on it and you know some uh, what, what what what's the name of the snares? I forget. I, I should actually I put some of the Vic Firth snares on it just to kind of see what was happening. Mm. It's fine. Sounds great. And then my one of my favorites was the what is it? The hammered nickel Tama snare drums that they came out with, or hammered something. I forget what what metal it actually is. But when that came out. I was obsessed with piccolo snares because I had just watched Omar Hakim's instructional video with Victor oh, yeah. Bailey and Michael Bearden. Love and those two like, videos. Man, <laughs> it was just, oh, goodness gracious, man. And so, like, I, you know, he had that, that piccolo to the side. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> like, I it's like, mom and dad, I need a piccolo. So they got me like, you know, 12 by, I don't even know what that dimension would be like three or four something Mm -hmm.
1: like that and i still have it it's the bomb sounds great Nice. (laughs) so yeah well i only have one last question what's on the horizon (laughs) for the rest of 2021 for you man so
0: um my family and i we own and operate a music festival which is also a um it's a music nonprofit in general, um, and what we do is, you know, we we collect instruments for kids, and also uh, we raise money to basically give young people the opportunity, and really the public the opportunities that I had coming up. I, you know, I grew up in Philly and. Oddly enough, no one knows this, but like you knew me when I was a kid, which is hilarious. Yep. Like on so many levels. Like when you told me about that, I said, "Holy crap!" You were the first person that told me to change ride symbols to differentiate sections. That is the bomb. So thank you for that, man. Yeah, like, I, I appreciate. The only piece of advice
1: I had for you. Otherwise, it was you hey, doing what you're doing, man. Dude,
0: listen, man, you don't understand, man. It changed everything. Look, you know, it got me here. Shoot, but um, so. You know I was going to the Kimmel Center quite a bit at that time and um, they had a really great education program. they still do, but it's different now um, you know there was a there was a director named Mark Johnson, a great like really incredible multi-instrumentalist and one of the best educators I've ever encountered and Mark and also the team of uh, Mervon Mekta, Tom Warner and uh, Lily Schwartz and Velma Simmons and Carol Frazier I remember those people because they made the unthinkable possible for us you know it's like I got a chance to meet everyone when I say everybody I mean everybody so Mm -hmm. Wynton Marsalis uh, Ornette Coleman Brian Blade Fellowship Band Danilo Perez was artist in residence so he would come to our jazz band rehearsals at the Kimmel Center and give us uh, do master classes with us through that, we met James Moody. We met, you know, the like a lot of the local legends in Philly, Bootsy Barnes, Sam Reed, Peter Nero, when he was still the head of the Philly Pops. I mean, we met everybody through this program. But the craziest thing is, as a result of this, you know, quick story. I met Berkeley at the at you know at this point of the story. And I'm hanging out in um in a coffee shop I'm a coffee nerd so that's a thing Mm. but uh, like we're hanging out in this coffee shop called Pavement in Boston and I saw Danilo Perez walk in and he hadn't seen me for like you know what I guess like six years five years something like that Mm. so I see him and I'm like oh man he's standing with John Patitucci and all of these other people I'm going over here to say, Hey, he doesn't remember me, but I'm going to try. I'm like, Mr. Perez, how you doing? I just want to introduce myself. You used to do master classes at the Kimmel center. And I was the drummer in that band. He said, little Justin. I'm like, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, yes, (laughs) we did it. And so, you know, he introduced me to John Patitucci that day. And then, um, You know, I had known Brian Blade because every time he came to town, I went to go check it out. Um, And so, man, I would see them then on the road because, you know, I'm playing with Branford. So, like, a lot of the festivals were all headlining together. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one year we did a double bill with Wayne Shorter. And, like, you know, to have Danilo, John Patitucci, and Brian Blade walk off stage and say, hey, Wayne, this guy is going to be one of the ones I'm like. Had it not been from my upbringing and being around these this caliber of musicianship. I mean, I met Terry Lynn Carrington when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And she helped me get a scholarship to school. You know, it's like she she told me the process and you know, got me into the five-week program. Also, Kate Shutt, the singer-songwriter I spoke about, her and Terry Lynn were friends. And she introduced me to Terry Lynn because she was looking for young drummers. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of these connections happened as a result of one person in the chain looking out for me. You know, one person in 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 the circle looking out for me and in in my well-being. And so, my mother, brother, and I, we wanted to start a network like this. And mm-hmm. so, with our festival, we've thus far had Branford's band, you know, we've played it, Jackie Terrison, Bootsy Collins did it the last year, Papo Vasquez from Philly. Um, then also we've we've had some Philly legends uh, headline the festival as well, but you know we want an insanely high level of artistic history and artistic preservation to exist in Philadelphia again, and specifically exist in West Philadelphia as well. You know, so you know I want young people to be exposed to this because I grew up in the same neighborhood that they're in, and You know, while my friends were at the Poconos for their senior trip, I was playing at New Morning in Paris, you know, and to have that opportunity, it came from masterclasses. You know, I met Brantford at a masterclass, which is insane. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like the the, and and so Rhoda Blount is another education guru that was the uh, VP of community engagement and education for the uh, Mann Music Center. And they did this project about uh Francis Johnson, which was like, you know, this incredible early uh wind instrument uh uh pioneer. And you know, Francis Johnson wrote a bunch of chamber music and like had a bunch of chamber stuff that that has heavily influenced the way that we look at wind and, wind and brass instruments today. Um specifically brass, actually, not wind. And so this gentleman named Rodney Marcellus. Was the curator of this project, who happens to also be Branford's cousin, mm-hmm. and he brings Branford in. My high school jazz band plays, and he tells us how bad we sound, and then he, then he, but then he tells everyone how to fix it, what records to check out, and he comes to me and he's like, "Yo, man, yeah, that, do that, whatever you've been doing, don't stop." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, well, I'm surprised. Okay, cool." And then three <laughs> months later, I get a call. <laughs> no, you know, it's geez. like. Had I, not in, like, had I not met him in an education setting, I wouldn't know him. Mm-hmm. So I have to do everything in my power. We have to do everything in our power as a family to create those opportunities for young people again. Because, you know, the Philadelphia School District has less music in all of the schools. You know, I mean, I went to GAMP, which had, you know, like, <laughs> like a seven-person music staff. I don't think that's the case anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. just due to budget cuts. And, you know, it's just... They need it. You know? It's like it gives them an alternative to doing whatever else they're doing, which, as we see the numbers rising, has not been that productive in the city. You know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I would much rather be a part of the solution than to complain about the problem. You know? And so, um, with that, we're doing a... um, A fundraiser on uh, hold one second I will tell you I believe it's August 27th so doing a fundraiser August 27th at CEC which is the Community Education Center Um, I can send you the details on that Um, and it's going to be my band and my brother's band, my brother's Nazir Ibo who's also a drummer and he's insane you know i mean i like i will never talk about what i do for a living unless people ask but i will always brag on him because he's one of the most creative people i've ever met in my life i mean just you know he's he's ambitious like he wants to he wants to play you know and and for him to you know he writes music he's hired some of the like nastiest musicians in the city nasty in a good way for those who don't understand the lingo <laughs> um and you know he's writing music and trying to incorporate You know some un, uncanny off the beaten path artists. You know to do the things that they've always desired artistically, rather than boxing them in. You know in just the singer or the saxophonist categories. Like nah, you like pedals, have at it. Mm -hmm. You know that that that's my brother's vibe. And then he's also into the visual aspect of it, so he's doing you know video editing and really cool imagery and stuff behind it. And um, you know my mother is a is a Retired pianist, but also worked in the um, financial sector in in the New Jersey government at one point. So, you know, we all have this festival together. We also own our management company together. So, you know, we manage a few artists and really help them develop over time, you know, teaching them basic budgeting and, you know, the basic aspects of being a freelance musician, you know. So, Mm -hmm. working heavily with that. a lot of touring is about to come up that's um, good to hear yeah man well as long, long as everything stays cool <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of touring um and honestly man like i'm just looking forward to getting better you know it's like i'm i'm on a journey now where my practice and my development has gone through so many stages you know, because I'm teaching quite a bit now. Like I have my own private practice, and I call it practice because I look at it, at it more of a as more of a coaching agency than drum mm-hmm. lessons. Because I talk a lot, as you can see. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, we um, we cover a lot. You know, because I, one thing that Branford and and a lot of my elders showed me some of it directly, some of it indirectly a huge part of what we do is really based in philosophy. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, going into this, what are you actually, what lens are you looking at this thing through? You know, man, it's like, I listen to you doing, you know, some of the product stuff that you do and also just playing some tunes and it's like, the lens that you are looking through is clearly one of service to the song and to the music. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody has that. You know, so, I want to help musicians not just drummers musicians figure out like what is my role here like yeah that can be an ever changing thing depending on what band you're playing in or even you know what that band needs for those songs but i don't want anybody to just think that there's this static existence as a drummer. It's like yeah we keep time that's obvious but mm. how and also why like what is the function of you keeping time in this particular moment because there are times where the bass player needs to do that specifically in a jazz context the bass player needs to do that the pianist and the drummer need to blast off to kind of push the soloist mm-hmm. if the bass player goes with us the tension's gone and so is the foundation right so mm-hmm. then there are certain times where the bass player is you know busier and i have to kind of lay it down you know it, it all depends So, I want to help people develop that understanding, which, you know, not everybody has a quartet, quintet, or even band situations to really stretch that knowledge or even gain it. So, I want to provide those opportunities. And, uh, you know, we're starting a semester back. I teach at Temple University. So... uh, You're going to be worn out then. (laughs) Man, I'm, I'm... it seems that I'm busy. So uh, <laughs> there's, there's there's a lot of stuff to navigate, but um, you know, I'll be calling you for 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 some uh, productivity tips cuz you are definitely one of the busiest people in the industry well, clearly. You know, moving. so that's the only way hey I can man, do it. I hear you. I hear you. So yeah, we'll be hitting you up for some productivity tips. You know, matter of fact, I think I may start a podcast for myself. <laughs> Not just do for it. that. You know. <laughs>
1: Well, so, how can yeah, people keep up with what you're doing? Your website, or is there another way to go? Absolutely. So um, my website is justinfalknermusic.com.
0: Uh, all of my dates are there. Also, um, I'm a pretty open and friendly person. You know, like I do have management and an agent for all of my booking stuff. But, um, you know, drummers and musicians are always um, encouraged to, to send me messages, mm. you know, if you have questions and, you know, things that you want to check out or, you know, just even basic, like, how do I pack for this tour? <laughs> mm. like, if I don't know, I can help, I can get someone that does, you know, but, um, you know, we're human beings and we're all trying to figure this thing out, so um, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Justin Faulkner Official, uh, I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, all social media platforms. I haven't haven't slid onto TikTok yet i don't mm. know if that's a thing for me
1: <laughs> uh unless you like to do dance <laughs> routines
0: <laughs> yeah the, I, no yeah like, i'm not seeing the dance thing happening but uh <laughs> but yeah so yeah i'm on all social media platforms um the easiest platform to get a hold of me is definitely um instagram like i have you know my link tree stuff on there so all of the ways to contact me available there and
1: right on um yeah yeah anyone hit up justin for a lesson before he hits the road and he won't have time to do it now that's (laughs) a thing that's a thing for
0: sure you know and i try to fit in a few uh consult
1: calls while i'm out but yeah, it's hard (laughs) Right on, man. Well, thank you for taking the time, and I look forward to seeing you out on the road in person sometime soon. Man, tell me about it, dude. I'll I'll be out your way in a few months, so I will definitely let you know. Right on, man. Thank you. Indeed, man. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that episode and my conversation with Justin. I think we could have gone for a couple more hours the way we were headed, but uh, that's it for now. Please, if you do enjoy the show, give us a review over on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That helps spread the word. And don't forget to send me your questions or topic suggestions to Mike at drumfactorydirect.com. I have a folder of everything that's come in so far. Probably do a nice long segment on that in a future episode. So please send me all of your ideas, Mike at drumfactorydirect.com. And until then, we'll see you next week. Have a good one.